Who here enjoys comic strips? Comic strips. Anybody read the weekend comics growing up? Saturday, Sunday paper? The Peanuts, the Calvin and Hobbes, any of your other favorites? Well, today on social media, we now have what's called memes, M-E-M-E-S, memes. A meme, for those that are unsure, um, is an image or a video or a piece of text that's humorous, like a comic strip, and it's copied over and over again and shared for the whole entire World Wide Web. And often it has slight variations. So there may be something that's funny and somebody adjusts it a little bit and shares it and adjusts it a little bit and shares it. But the idea is that it's, it's a comic. People like to laugh. And so the joke behind these memes often is because there's truth, right? We laugh because it's a little bit true. One of my favorite series of memes that I've seen on the World Wide Web is Reasons My Toddler Is Crying. Reasons My Toddler Is Crying. We see images of children crying hysterically, having a tantrum over what seems to be the tiniest little inconvenience. For example, we see this child stretched out over their high chair, mouth wide open, wailing. And the comment below says, her ice cream cake was cold. Or this kid that's crying in the corner because I wouldn't let him wear his dirty underwear on his head. <laughs> or we see our child that's crying at the front door because I wouldn't let them put sunscreen on when it's raining. Or my child that's crying because I threw his dirty Band-Aid out a month ago. <laughs> or I told her that she couldn't marry daddy or her brother, or I wouldn't let him finish eating dirt. They're funny, right? This kid is crying hysterically over something that's really not a matter worth crying over. But it's funny because there's some truth. They're, they're being overly dramatic, to say the least. Reasons that my toddler is crying. Things that are somewhat ridiculous in nature, but to that child, it means everything. That Band-Aid was their entire world. That underwear on their head was the way that they were being able to play and create and imaginate. To the child, the problem is their entire world. Now, while we as parents, we want to laugh, as parents, we, what, ultimately console the child, we fix the problem, and help them to see the bigger picture. There are plenty more dirty Band-Aids to come. We can use clean underwear instead of dirty. Dirt really doesn't taste that good. Let's try Oreos instead. Our scripture passage for today includes the Israelites that we read of last week. Remembering last week that we unpacked the story of Moses, who through God's power parted the waters of the Red Sea to allow the Israelites to be delivered from the hands of the Egyptians. This week, we're going to pick up the story as they have now moved on from that place and they're making their way through the wilderness to the promised land. If you have your Bibles with you or your Bible app, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. 
We're gonna be moving through much of the chapter, so hang tight with me as you follow along or listen. Exodus chapter 16. We're gonna begin in verse one. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all food that we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather in the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out from Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread that you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses and they kept part of it until morning but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest a holy Sabbath to the Lord. 
So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses had commanded and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out to the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. We'll stop there. This is the word of the Lord. We say thanks be to God. Amen. So a couple of things stick out for me out of this long passage. Things that we can glean, things that we can understand. And we're going to unpack each of them as we go through the story. First, we can understand one of the characteristics of humanity through the actions of the Israelites. What do we see humanity to be? We understand that humanity is very selective and has a very short-term memory when it comes to remembering the promises and miracles of God. We, as humans, we tend to forget how awesome God has been in the past, do we not? We see this truth in the text today because the scripture tells us that this scene picks up about a month and a half, six weeks, after the parting of the Red Sea. So some significant time has passed, yes, but it hasn't been like 20 years or anything. But needless to say, the Israelites have settled into a routine. And the newness of the freedom has worn off. And the hardship of the wilderness life has set in. And so the people, they complain against the leaders, against Moses and Aaron. And they exaggerate that there was plenty of meat and bread till we were stuffed in Egypt. They complain saying that they are starving in the wilderness. They felt that all their material needs of food are now not being met. And therefore, they complain wanting things to go back to the way that they were. The Israelites, they have what we might say is the grass was greener on the other side mentality. Us as readers, we think how quickly they forget. But the Israelites, they're hungry. They think that they're going to die in the wilderness and they blame God for that deliverance from Egypt because now they are hungry. To us as the reader, I can't help but think, why can't the Israelites just pause for a second? Take a chill pill, breathe. Have them look at the entire situation, the larger picture, and remember what God has already done for them. And think, well, God took care of us before. He can clearly do it again. He won't let us die. Nope, they don't. For the Israelites, at this moment, the wilderness is a place of hunger that will inevitably lead to death. The need for food is all that they can see. They have blinders on their eyes. They can't see anything but what is right in front of them. And Egypt? Well, Egypt has this rose-colored glasses that they're wearing, remembering that this place is full of meat, full of bread, full of everything that they need, even if they were in bondage. 
they were never hungry in Egypt. So obviously, Egypt was a better option than now. But we as readers, we think how quickly they forget. They forget the deep abuse, the heavy-handed oppression from Egypt. How quickly they forget for the sake of the immediate gratification. The present hunger distorts their memory of what Egypt really was. In some ways, we may be reminded of the story of Jacob and Esau. Remember the brothers. Esau was willing to forego his birthright for this immediate satisfaction of food. His brother said, you can have this stew if I can have your birthright. He didn't recognize the long impact, the long-term impact that would be just because he was hungry. Food meant more to him than his birthright. He was so focused on the immediate need for stomach comfort rather than the long-term problem. Here, the Israelites, they also allowed their stomachs to do the talking for what for them, for what they needed most, what they thought they needed most. They complained about the present situation because they were hungry, not keeping perspective and remembering that all that God had done for them before. Here, the anxiety about survival, the immediacy of food, it overrides any long-term hope for freedom and well-being. Let me just say, is this not the definition of hangry? Hungry and angry combined. You can't do anything but focus on your hunger and anything that gets in your way is ruining it, right? I get angry because anything gets in my way between me and my food that I need. I can't slow down and process everything because I'm so hungry. But truthfully, can I ask, how many of us could we admit that maybe we've been in a situation similar to the Israelites, that we've forgotten what God has done for us? We've forgotten the past, and we complain about the present situation. How many of us have quickly forgotten the past miracles and instead gotten so hyper-focused on the present sufferings and trials, unable to look beyond them? How many of us can relate to the state of mind that the Israelites might be in right about now? I know I can. We understand in this passage how quickly humanity forgets the miracles and promises of God. Secondly, we understand in this passage that God's character is that of promise of love and provision. God's promise is of love and provision. It's, inter it's interesting that we see the Israelites are grumbling and complaining multiple times, and they grumble and complain towards Moses and Aaron, but really, it's against God. God, how dare you have rescued us? How dare you send us to this place where there is no food? It's not against their fearless leader, but rather God Almighty, the one who delivered them. As if God did not provide enough for them before when he parted the Red Sea, now he's gonna let them die. Die with no food instead of dying to the sword of the Egyptians. How many times in our life are there circumstances that are hard and we blame God 
for those circumstances. We don't blame ourselves. We don't blame others. We blame God. God, how dare you put me into this situation? How dare you make me suffer? How dare you make me go through this trial? How dare you? Here, the Israelites, they aren't as angry with Moses for being in the wilderness as they are angry at God. This leads us to the response of God to come to their aid. The grumbling was towards God, and therefore God responds to their grumbling. God provides the solution. So this story is ultimately about the character of God, the character of the Israelites, and their relationship with each other. And one thing we know about God is that his character is that he cares about his people. He loves his people. He loves us. We see that from the start of the biblical narrative up until the present day, God loves us. He cares for us. He will never leave us. He cares about the Israelites. He was not about ready to let the Israelites starve. He was going to meet their need and so much more. We understand here that God's character is one of love and provision. So God tells Moses to share the following information with the Israelites. In the evening, you will eat meat. And in the morning, you will eat bread. God heard their cries. He heard their grumblings and he responded. But notice here in verse 22 and 23, and also we see earlier, I think it was verse four, that God responds with two promises, a provision of food and a provision of rest. Provision of food and a provision of rest. He offers bread from heaven, not bread from Pharaoh's storehouse. But God also offers Sabbath, a rest from their work, something that they never had in Egypt before. This coincides with the model of creation, right? Even God himself rested on the seventh day. He continues to show the importance of Sabbath, of rest. We understand God's provision is both for food and for rest. Which brings me to this next takeaway from the text. God wants us to trust and rest in his provision. God wants us to trust and rest in his provision. Scripture tells us that the Israelites went out to collect manna each and every day in the morning. They gathered much, some gathered much and some gathered little. But everyone, they all had enough. When they went out to gather food on the sixth day, they had enough that would supply them for the sixth and the seventh day. Just enough, not too little, not too much. God provided just enough. Look back again at verse four when it says, God will test the Israelites in this way to see if they will follow his instructions regarding the gathering of food. God wants to know that we can trust him, but to show that we trust him, he asks us to obey his instructions. In verse 20, we see some of the Israelites gathered manna and they saved it for the next day, right? On the first through the sixth day, they tried to save it. 
thinking that because God did it today, that doesn't mean he's gonna do it again. So I'm gonna go ahead and keep a little for myself, just in case. They didn't trust. They tried to do it on their own. And what happened? The manna was disgusting the next day. It was rotten, it was filled with maggots. It wasn't useful the next day. Each morning, with the dew, came more fresh manna to be gathered. And in the evening, more quail came. Each day had enough for the own day. It's like the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread, just today. God will provide for our daily needs just as he did for the Israelites each and every day. Something fresh, something new. And so too with the Sabbath day in verse 27, some of the Israelites, they didn't trust, right? They didn't trust, they wanted to gather their own food for the Sabbath. They thought, let's go ahead and and head out and get food again. They didn't trust that what they gathered on the sixth day would carry over for the seventh. And what happened? There was nothing. They weren't supposed to work on the seventh day, therefore there wasn't any food to gather. No manna, no gathering. The manna from the day before, it was just fine. It carried them over. No maggots. What they collected on the sixth day was to be no more than what they collected any other day. And yet, on the sixth day, God would allow it to last for more than just that day. He would allow it to last into the seventh day. What they gather on that day will turn out to be two days supply of what they prepared and consumed. Similar to how Jesus used the five loaves and the two fish to provide for thousands of people He took what was small and multiplied it. Similar to the widow who provided bread for Elijah, God declared that the flour and the oil would not run out until there was rain on the land again. And so it was so. God said it would be and it is so. For the Israelites in the desert, he provided. For Elijah, he provided. For the crowds, he provided. For you and for me, he will provide. God provided enough manna for the Israelites for the seventh day, which then proved that these three things are true about God. God loves us and provides for us. God desires for us to have time of rest, and he provides that time of rest. God wants us to trust that he will provide these things. God loves us. He desires rest for us. God wants us to trust him. And he provides all of these things. Yahweh, God, provides for the Israelites' nourishment for the body in the means of manna and quail. He provides nourishment for the spirit in Sabbath rest. And he does the same for us today. Physical nourishment, spiritual nourishment. 
In this story, we see that God cares so deeply for his people, even when they complain, even when they don't trust. God plans to deliver them from captivity and bring them to the promised land. God won't stop anything from that happening. We see God steps in and provides for his people again and again and again, even when the Israelites forget, even when humanity forgets, even when we forget. As this chapter closes out, the part that we didn't read, uh, you'll see that God tells Moses to collect an omer of manna and place it in a jar. And it is eventually kept with the tablets, the tablets that have the Ten Commandments on them, and they are kept in the tabernacle. It was used as a reminder for God's provision. I have here, not manna, not an omer, but a jar. A jar is a reminder, a symbol of what God has done. If you don't know, the Red Sea and the release from captivity is talked about over and over and over in the biblical narrative. We see it as other Old Testament writers. We see it in the Psalms over and over, the reminder of what has been done. It's repeated. It's talked about again in the New Testament through writers like Paul, sharing the story of what God did. The biblical writers speak of God's provision and the faithfulness of his care for his people over and over again. It is an oral or written reminder of what God has done, oral as the story is told again, written as we read it today. In Exodus 16, God is faithful with provision of manna and quail. He hears his people's cry. He reminds, he responds to them. He reminds them that he is God. He reminds them that they should rest. They should rest in his provision, similar to what he did in the Red Sea. Be still and know, and the Red Sea parts. While the Israelites were asked to put aside the Omer of manna as a reminder, I've placed these jars here as a reminder. Today, we are reminded through the reading of the scripture that God provides. Today we are reminded that God hears our cry. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. Today we are reminded that God offers rest through himself. He provides an opportunity for rest through himself. Last week, Chima had us end the service by singing an old chorus, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways I cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide, hold me closely to his side. God will make a way. We're gonna sing that chorus again. I'm gonna ask if Sue and Connie would come and join us again. I'm gonna ask you to spend some time in prayer. Spend some time reflecting, remembering. You can be seated where you are. You can come to the altar. Reflect and remember God's faithfulness. Do not quickly forget. 
Do not jump to complaining. Remember God's provision. God loves. God cares. God provides. God desires rest. And he desires you to trust. Find Sabbath today in him. Although we forget from time to time, because humanity, my prayer for you today is that you will remember that God has provided, God does provide, and he will provide each and every day. Just enough for that day. in him. He is the one who fights for us. He is the one who provides for us. He did. He does. He will. Now hear this benediction. Receive this benediction. Go now, remembering that God is faithful faithful to provide all that we care to imagine yesterday, today, and forevermore. Go now, resting in him. You are dismissed. God will make a way where there seems
seems to be no way He works in ways we cannot see Strength for each new day.